0: Hello, hello, and welcome to My Tennis Journey, where we aim to bring compelling tennis stories to life. As you're listening today, it'd be amazing if you could hit subscribe or follow. It's free, you know. What does it take to make the journey from a talented junior to being a rising star on the professional tennis tour? There are of course many variables and if there was a set recipe it's one I'm sure thousands of parents and coaches would cook up for their little proteges. But I firmly believe that lessons can be learned from those who have made the journey. Those who have seen a player move from a young junior they are coaching with a passion for the game to moving on to become a member of the professional tour. And today I'm really excited to talk to one such stakeholder. Shane Deacon is an LTA GB National Pathway coach. He's the inventor of the amazing target-bound tennis coaching aid, and he's also played a pivotal role as coach of the British tennis player, Toby Samuel, who made his Wimbledon debut back in July. Welcome to the show, Shane Deacon.
1: Hi, Rob. Thanks for having me. Really
0: excited to be on here. Come on. Now, Shane, I know, you know, we're going to talk a lot Uh, today about Toby's tennis journey And, and it's been absolutely fascinating to kind of do the research into that um and your role as his coach in the sort of early years of his of his journey but but how about yourself how did your tennis journey begin
1: um I came into the sport really late um I played first of all in a school tournament uh picked as a 14 year old did it because my mates were picked as well but didn't really stick at it I was into football and um and then at 16, my friend got a job at a park uh, collecting court fees. And we basically just played summer um, tennis all summer. And after that, I started to, you know, have some lessons. And at 17, um, I started a YTS in coaching. Um, so I went to college one day a week and then spent six days a week learning how to coach, learning how to string, coaching ladies mornings, schools, um, the lot, Um, I was unsure about my sort of career, where did I want to go, probably was going to go down the road of university and then into teaching, probably um, art or PE, you know, the easy subjects, Um, and um, yeah, just I just got hooked basically, you know, just fascinated how people learn and, you know, what a difference I could be, so, you know, I was always into sort of coaches, you know, I'd, I'd watch match of the day and I'd always be so interested in what the coaches and the managers would be saying in their interviews you know that for me was one of the best parts of watching match of the day so probably was always interested in, in some sort of coaching role
0: isn't that amazing that though that i think that the point is every single person's tennis journey is different and it's always like fascinating to hear about it because they are all so different you know and so many Players nowadays, they're starting at four, they're starting at five or six. You know, by the age of 10, they may have played 500 tournaments or more. It just shows you, doesn't it, that the passion for the game can be ignited at any point. And the journey that can result can be exciting, regardless of when you start, what age you start.
1: Yeah, I mean, for me, um, I I tell myself, you know, to sort of give myself a little bit of a confidence boost, Shane you're your own outlier you know you 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 know based on what you've done you shouldn't be in this role you know I played the county close once and um, you know that was probably the biggest tournament I played in but through a lot of hard work grafting all in mentality didn't didn't know it was called all in back in the day um, you know I just sort of got some players my first four players I, I ever started coaching three of them went to college in America and played tennis you know so I was invested with those and um and that sort of probably set me on my performance journey because they were doing well so I'd go and watch them in tournaments and I'd get the buzz of how can we try and beat that player next time you know and taking that back onto the practice court to get the work done between the next tournament so
0: amazing I love it and you know it's like I mean you know you've used the related world of football already and there's plenty of football managers football coaches who who didn't go to the highest reaches of the professional game. You know, you just got to think of Mourinho. You know, he, he was obviously, regardless of what you think of him and his approach in terms of what he's achieved, you can't argue with that. And uh, And he didn't play the professional game really, not at any level. I would give any
1: number of limbs in my body to have the playing ability of some of the coaches that I know. However, because of that limitation, coming into the sport late, you know, I guess I've just had to invest in other areas of my own sort of skill development to, to be on a par with them. And, um, and what I've learned is that the coaches who are really good players are not always, always the best coaches. So, you know, it's, it's a pathway that anyone can get into. And, you know, if, it really is about deciding where you want to be and what you're prepared to put into it.
0: It's the truth. It's the truth. If you you know, it and I hope it will inspire people. I mean, you know, if I look at my coaching journey, when I became a full time coach and I wanted this little chapter of my career, my dream more than anything else was to see tennis courts full of children playing our brilliant sport. You know, it's for me it's not the performance that I buzz about. I don't I you know, I I do county coaching and things, but the thing that I'm really excited is, is seeing children with a smile on their face playing sport and not being on the Xbox and, and I, I, you know, everything that, that's been, a, you know, when I see that at our club, I love that. And yeah, so it is, it is, it's, it's what, what do you want to make happen? That's the thing from a coaching point of view, isn't it? And if you believe, and if you work hard and you go after it, you can make these things happen. Yep. Now I, d- I did mention in the intro that you've, you know, you've come a long way. You're an LTA GB national pathway coach. What does that role involve?
1: Uh, well, it's a really exciting and challenging role. Um, but essentially, our job is to identify players, um, support players, and we do that through their coaches. Um, we also attend uh, tournaments, so we're scouting players, we're recording players, we're giving feedback to parents and and to the players sometimes, but also the coaches. And then we run our activities. So our activity is uh, regional camps, national camps, interregional camps. Um, GB friendlies, uh, overseas trips um, and I'm a massive believer in opportunities you know whether whether you're inside the LTA or not you know forging opportunities for me is, is what makes the difference you have to take yourself and your players outside of the comfort zone and that's where some of the best learning can take place you know if I think about my own development um, some of the best trips I've been on uh, whereas when I when I'm watching a match, sat next to a really experienced coach, and I'm just asking questions. So you know, opportunities, opportunities.
0: When you're like looking out for players at a tournament and things like that, what is it you're looking for, Shane? I mean, I know that everyone says don't worry about the results at the early age. You know, worry about your development. Does that play through into your actual approach, or are you actually secretly, oh, whoa, 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 that's a good result?
1: Um. As a younger coach, definitely my lens would have been more from a sort of a tactic, sorry, skillful technique based lens. Um, and, you know, having coached for a long time where sometimes you felt that the best lesson you did was when the player turned up from minute one to 60, they did everything you said and they played really well. And you think, oh, I'm such a good coach. They did, they did awesome today. And then at the weekend, you go and watch them play a tournament and they're crying at 2 all. And the forehand that you were working on that week, you're thinking, why would I spend three hours working on the forehand when I actually needed to work on challenge and coping strategies? That's that's the real nitty-gritty. The forehand's fine. It's not as bad as I thought it was. It's, it's those other things. And um, so my lens now is very much towards um, head and heart. You know, how hard does the player compete? you know, I'm all, I'm, I'm massively into skill acquisition. I love that. I love sort of delving into other sports and finding out how they do what they do, how they bring on talent. Um, so, you know, I very much look for skills. Do players have a game identity, even at a young age? And a lot of coaches will frown upon that, but I'm like, what's their personality? You know, does, does their tennis match their personality? So That's what I look for. But, you know, as a team, we look for competitiveness, um, athleticism, match IQ and skills. Those, those are sort of our four big areas. We do take into account um, results, but it probably makes up, you know, if we're we're thinking about making a selection for a regional, sorry, an interregional camp or a national camp, results make up about 20% of, of our selection. You know, what we don't want is players who win a lot, but don't have any, future game style you know because we know from experience that those players start to lose start to lose confidence and start to question why they're doing it so you know I'm a massive believer in you always have to keep one eye on the now and one eye on the future you have to know where your player sits right now within sort of the national and international scene but you also need to look above you know you look at this sort of if you're working with nine-year-olds you need to look at 14 year olds and see what they're playing or under 18s because that's the future for them. So you need to, you know, I've just come back from Brest Weir, the 11 year old girls playing there, they're all really comfortable and, and proficient at dry volleys. Okay, so, you know, that's not a surprise to me, because I've been to Brest Weir for the last, the last nine years. Um, so but how that influences my coaching is I'm going to do a dry volley drill with girls, every single lesson, whether it's just for five minutes, every lesson.
0: I love that. I could talk about this all day, Shane. It's fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. And I, I, that's with the tennis parent hat on. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, we're going to come on to Toby Samuel's journey in a moment. Really looking forward to talking about that, but I know there'll be lots of tennis parents, tennis coaches listening, who I'm sure would love to hear your thoughts on what it takes to make the journey from junior to pro. I think we've already kind of touched on some of the elements, but if you could make the top three characteristics that a player needs to speech commas, make it, what would those characteristics be? Is that, is that even possible?
1: Uh, well, these, these are mine. And um, my number one would be, they have to love competing, have to love the battle. Um, doesn't mean they necessarily win all the time. They have to be open to learning. They have to be curious they, they have to want to be you know want to get better want to know what they have to be doing in a year's time or what the game looks like at 18 and then the last one for me keeping it really simple would be work rate and discipline
0: I love these and, and the thing is you know with a parents hat on now when I go along to the higher grades of tournaments and see you know either our children play or watch for other children and you just kind of these are the things that you're looking for aren't they you know the love of the competition the ability to learn the work rate and the love of the game you know and and it's um it is it's I mean that's but that's a kind of it's an algorithm that will give you success in life not just in tennis you know if you're if you're loving going after what it is you're going after, regardless of whether that's chopping wood, accountancy, or tennis, you know whatever it is. If you love going after it, if you're open to learning and and you know realize that you're not going to do everything perfectly and that you can get better and that you work hard at it, it's that's why I think tennis is life. Life is tennis, you know.
1: Yep, Yeah. Um, those three characters that I just listed, like, you know, when I, I think about players, but they're probably the reason why I probably said them is probably when I'm talking to you now and thinking, well, that's, that's what's got me to where I am. You know, yeah. my competition is not playing. It's, it's outsmarting that other coach um, at nationals. It's my obsession to learning is, is, is going to Belgium uh, like I did going to Liverpool football club and every year spending two or three days there a year learning from other coaches, being, being curious, yeah. you know, and, and I have, because I've had to, because I'm, I'm skill limited, I haven't had to work, outwork people.
0: I got a job as the Carlin Premiership Press Officer that I was the outsider on. And I went for the interview. I'd, I'd put in a Royal of the Rovers cartoon to get me an interview. I went in as the outsider. There was a favourite for the role. And I went in with an absolute head full of dreams that I tried to sell in this interview. I absolutely and worked my hardest to be prepared as I can. And, you know, I ended up getting this role and then flourishing in this role. And that is those skills that you've just led. That's it, you know? And that's where for me, tennis is brilliant because not everyone is going to be lucky enough as Toby Samuel to go on to become a professional player. But if, if I can come away having thought in my players or in my children that I've embedded these skills, then hopefully the life's journey will be a rewarding one.
1: I've had lots of players reach out to me, you know, um, in their 30s when they're having kids and they message me and and they thank me and they go, I get it, Shane. I get it now. The lessons you were teaching me when I was younger, I didn't quite get when I was younger. So on me um, to communicate better. But they said. I get it now. Those skills have, have helped me in in my business life, in my family life. And you just go, OK, that's it's not all about getting a player to Wimbledon. I mean, if, I, if I'm honest, I never would have thought that I would have had a player play at Wimbledon, you know, and I've had two or three now play junior singles. Um, Toby play main draw now and you're thinking, OK, you know, and it's just an amazing journey. It's, it's almost like just keep believing
0: believing in man i love that you know if we were to like end this podcast here it'd be a fitting note to end it on because i love that the fact that people are getting back in touch because of the impact you've had on their life through what they've learned on the tennis court that has to be what it's all about but we must come on to Toby Samuel he's still a young man of 21. he's already had some amazing tennis adventures you know he's represented Great Britain as a junior. He's reached the semifinals of the Junior Wimbledon Wimbledon Doubles alongside Arthur Ferry. He's won the All-American Doubles as a student of the University of South Carolina. As you mentioned, he's made his full Wimbledon debut earlier this year. Now, I guess one of the beauties of the LTA website is uh, that you can look back at people's tournaments. Um, and I was looking back at Toby's first tournament. I think think it was a, a red competition in november 2008 which i think means toby would have been six and this is a note to parents who worry about whether their players are winning all their matches toby lost all three of his matches on that occasion including one to his brother ben i think and whilst he soon started winning i noticed that toby didn't win all of his matches in his early tournaments as a junior how important is it, Shane, to be able to learn to lose?
1: I guess one of the ways I can try and answer that question would be um, to tell a story of Toby when he got passported from nine and under to play ten and under. Um, so he could have easily stopped playing nine and under and just focused on playing green, as a lot of people do when they when they get a passport. Um, but I saw that as an opportunity to, to develop other areas. So what I did... Um liaising with his parents, of course, and getting their buy-in, which I had complete trust throughout my time with Toby, um, was to sort of say to Toby, right, this is what we're going to do. We're going to play the green grade twos, we're going to play the green grade threes, because that's the highest level available to us. If we get into the grade twos, that's great. What we're also going to do is we're going to play the grade two and grade one nine and under events because that's the highest level. And I'm a big believer in you in the highest level and the reason for that is because i want i wanted toby to to experience pressure so if he's if he went straight into green he's just one of 32 or 24 boys in a draw i wanted him to experience that because that's a less pressure environment sometimes but i also wanted him to experience sort of every 6 weeks or or 8 weeks the pressure of being the number one seed um yeah. and the first time he was the number one seed at the sutton grade 2 in easter I actually said to him because, you know, I was I was nervous about him, you know, fear of failure, him sort of really messing that event up and bumming out early. And he I said to him, how do you feel about being number one seed before the before we started his first match? I just wanted to to tackle the elephant in the room. And he said to me, I'm really happy. Everyone knows I'm the best player here. And I was just completely I wasn't expecting that. I was like, wow. I mean, what do I need to say now? He actually made the final. Um, and he lost. He, the reason, part of the reason why he lost was because he was so excited to make his first final. He ran around Sutton Tennis Centre and went on court and probably had nothing in the tank. Um, but also he lost the next two grade two finals winning his fourth. So he, you know, in the fir- fourth attempt, he, he won his first national tournament. Um, and part of the reason for that was I just, I didn't want it him to, for him to be comfortable with excuses or mum and dad of playing in in the 10 and unders and he lost to older boys. It's like, no, 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 no. If he's going to be good, we need to, we need to really see if he can handle pressure situation. And, and he loved it. Um, I'm, you know, Brad Gilbert talks about a win is a win. I, my sort of philosophy is kind of, you know, when I talk to parents around winning and losing, it's like, for me, there's three outcomes. There's the win because usually everyone's just jumping around because they've won of course you can win well and you can win by scraping through, but I just say that's a win or you can lose badly or you can lose well. And I'm a big believer in if you are losing to really try to go for, you know, obviously you're going to try and turn the match around and win, but lose well. And what does that mean? That means the margin between winning and losing is, is a handful of points because if a player understands that and, and learns that to sort of keep being competitive, even if the chips are down and they're losing, eventually that mindset is going to be able to turn matches around. So win, lose badly, or lose well. Those are the three outcomes for me. When we have players in in the region that I manage who are, you know, very successful, and I'm talking 95% win-loss ratio, for me that's a little bit of a red flag because... I just worry, and I might be completely wrong, I just worry that, you know, what happens uh, later down the road when the girls maybe start or boys are starting to be bigger or better um, and that player goes from winning so much to suddenly, you know, losing first round. You know, what's what's the damage there that can be done? So, you know, I, I always talk to parents about, you know, that that mentality of play the highest level what's available to you, but use the tournament systems as a tool. So, for instance, if a player is at a grade one or grade two level at 10 and under, they could play a grade four. Now, most people would go, well, what's the point in that? And there's always a cost. There's always a cost of time, money, time away from other family, siblings. I get that, but use the tournament to develop skills. You know, so um, and this is what football do really, really well. You know, if you're an eight and under player, you could be playing eight a side one week, you that know, you go away, play Manchester City the following week, they choose the format of nine a side, you go and play Man United the following week, and they choose seven aside. So I look at that and I think to myself, right, Trent Alexander Arnold, he he might, he's a great crosser of the ball. He might have been a winger one week. He might have been a defender the following week. He might be been a midfielder. I'm thinking, how good is that? And we just don't do that enough in our in our country to see the value of just go out and play. But the lens is that we want to use this tournament to develop your serve and ball three or um, approach shots trying to go to the net. You know, so that, you know, that's the lens. And if you win the tournament, great. But please understand, we're not expecting you to, to win the event. We want you to go after ten drive volleys, ten approach shots, things like that. In the same way that my brother and I used always used to get a pound if we scored a goal on Sundays, um, yeah, that was the carrot. I'm not saying suggesting you use money or or sweets. I'm, I'm not a big believer in that. Partly because my brother was a striker and I was a midfielder, but so um, anyway, <laughs> insight into our family history.
0: Come on. And it's interesting the 95% win rate being a red flag. I remember chatting to Yasmin Clark and said, What do you, you know, as you look back on your junior career, what do you wish? And she said, I wish I'd lost more, you know, because she won everything. And when you step up another level, it makes it tough. Um, Come on now. I mean, going back all the way to the start of Toby's journey. Um, we were saying earlier about at what point you started playing, Shane. I think I'm right in saying that Toby started playing at three years old and that his first coach was Paul Hanford. At what age did you f- first start coaching Toby and, and how did you come to be his coach?
1: Yeah, so big shout out to Paul um, at St. Leonard's Club. He started him off. Um, Sarah and Rich, um, Toby's mum and dad, lived practically next door to the tennis club. Um, literally... 22nd walking distance um i joined the west hans club in january 2010 and in the easter of that year so april time i took him to the porsche nottingham grade 2 event it was sponsored by porsche in those days and i took him with a few other players to that event um, because he was accessing squads at west Hants and, and being taught by paul and he went through pre-qualifying, qualifying to the quarterfinals of the main draw, which was like, wow, no one saw that coming because um, he was seven and a half then um, playing in nine and unders. So, you know, a little bit of an age gap. And um, yeah. but through his grit and determination, he he fought really hard and got there. And Dave Kirby was the LTA coach in the region at the time. And, you know, he would have been working with Paul. Um I know Dave from when he used to be I used to coach Dave in squads that's how old I am and you know because I had a a different focus at West Hans which was purely 11 and under performance um, you know a conversation was had between Paul and Dave I think and then and and then the parents reached out to me to you know to coach Toby shortly after the Nottingham Open and um, I was just in a position where I was able to do things that a lot of coaches can't do. So for instance, I had a a performance budget to spend on coach CBD for the team, but also uh, tournament supports. Um, So I was able to pretty much between the ages seven and a half and 12, go to 90% of Toby's grade twos. He was one of the best players in our program. So, you know, he was a a priority, Um, you know, and that's, that's really good for me, but it's it's like it's it's really hard for if you're a coach working in a smaller program without that, um, you know it's just like what you're up against.
0: You know, you've so you've, you've obviously you'd seen Toby's potential. You're well aware of it, and you saw it firsthand at Nottingham when he's gone through qualities all the way to quarters. Wh- wh- I know we talked about the characteristics that it 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 takes to make it earlier. You know, when you started working with Toby, was there anything particular that stood out about him that made you think, my word, this lad, you know, he could go far? Well,
1: he, he was similar to me growing up, actually, in the fact that he's he's an introvert. He's quite, he's quite shy, or he was at that stage. You know, I think college has really helped him. Um, yeah. So he was very quiet, but he was a really good athlete. Um, he was ferociously competitive. Uh, you, you've mentioned his brother, Ben. Ben also... Uh, was national level player as well. Um, Paul did a great job with him. I coached Ben as well, um, but they were ferociously competitive and, you know, the fights and stuff, the typical sibling rivalry. Um, and, but, but also Toby had an endless work rate. You know, I'll, I'll bring that to life. Um, he, he was invited to National talent ID at the National Tennis Centre back in those days. And they have a metronome test. So the coach feeds, tough, tough feeds, um, side to side. And if you score certain points, you get to stay on. If you if you don't score, you move off. And I was helping the LTA team on that day. I was measuring broad jump and throw. And um, I actually had to move my car out of the NTC and park it down bank lane. Um, so I, le- I left watching Toby doing that metronome, walked out of the building, parked my car down bank lane, walked back. So I was gone eight or nine minutes, maybe. I don't know however long it takes. And I came back and Toby's still on the court. He's still doing that test. You know, he was just so determined and dogged that he's like, I'm going to get the best scores. Um, And he may have done, he may not have done, but that's, that's Toby in a nutshell.
0: I was chatting to a coach the other day, he had a a really nice analogy around the need for game development from a technical perspective alongside competing. And, you know, he said that in, in class at school, you don't just do math test after math test after math test. You need the balance between learning and doing the tests and that tennis should be the same, a balance between that game development as well as the competing. What approach did you take with Toby in in that department? And what guidance would would you be giving to tennis parents?
1: I I loved my time with Toby from the point of the fact that, you know, he was always in the grade twos. And um, I saw those grade twos as sort of testing grounds, almost like a laboratory. And, you know, you would go to a tournament and because I was able to watch him play a lot of matches, I, I mean, I was, you know, I was the world's best pen and paper match charter in my own, in my own mind, I used to chart every match. And that was because I wanted to give him feedback of what actually really happened instead of just my opinion. I also wanted to watch the match, not be, not be talked to by other parents and coaches. Um, so I was able to come, come back, come away with with some evidence. And then we would take that evidence. Um, and we'd focus on one or two areas or three areas with the, with the eye on the future. So there's always something else that you're working on. Um, In between those six weeks and then you test it again so it was never really around oh this is the tournament we want to win it was just about just be better let's just keep getting better you know we've got to start the year here and we've got to finish playing this sort of tennis you know and I always I always knew because of the setup at West Hans that I wouldn't be coaching Toby when he was 14 15 16 Um, and that was fine for me because we had I was in an environment where we had really good coaches in those areas who were really way more experienced than me so it was like right the pathway is still internally staying in the club um but that was that was my approach it was always like one eye on the now and one eye on the future what is he doing now what
0: is it exactly that he's doing now um and what does he need to develop you know it's really interesting to hear about the charting because you know when i go along to tournaments i see coaches doing it i see some parents doing it and um what sort of to bring it to life to people, what sort of data would you come out with that led to, you know, what sort of thing I'm sure it could be a million and one things, but, but what sort of thing could you come out of that charting with to help Toby on his development?
1: Right. So, okay. I would chart um, how the point finished. So winner uh, forced error, unforced error for both players. I would chart the first serve and second serve, but also chart the direction of both players I would chart the return intention because Toby could have a, a match where he looks like he's you know serving 80% so on the paper it sounds like he's serving really well but if the return intention by the by the opponent was attack um then that that lends you to think about maybe the serve wasn't as good as it looks on paper so return intention um rally length I wanted um Toby to understand that if you make the first two balls you're going to win a lot. You're going to win a lot of points. Um, and hence my project in lockdown. Um, I would also ta- um, chart um, points flow. So, how many times would Toby win two points in a row or his opponent, three points in a row or three points more? Um, if you win groups of two points more often, you're more likely to win the match. Um, I would also sort of chart, you know, what, you know, I'd ring the point where i thought that could be a potential momentum swing um and i'd also chart you know um how his how he reacted to the point so positive or negative visual body language my my charts evolved so you know my first couple of charts did not have that level but you just you just get faster and faster at what you do
0: great this is great i mean i've always kind of thought are these parents doing this so that they just emotionally detach themselves from what can be quite a pressure cooker environment what i hadn't really looked into was how useful it could be i think this is what i need i will give this a go next time i'm watching one of ours play i will get a chart going
1: i'll just come in on that though because what you are saying is really relevant and and what i learned which hopefully can be helpful to some people is it's you could have the best information the best data on your on your child or your player it's when and how do you deliver that message so invariably whenever toby won he he almost didn't want to know you know sometimes if it was a big event he wanted to know he wanted to he wanted me to tell him how good he was um Mm. and you know but the real learning sometimes comes in the losses um and i and i learned very quickly that there's zero point in talking to him when most children for at least 20 minutes after a match so when i see parents almost holding their child's hand as the player walks off the court and they're telling them 50 things that they did wrong I'm just going it's not it's not working it's who are you doing it for are you doing it for you or are you doing it for your child because it sounds like you're doing it for you um so you just learn how does the player like the feedback and I would always start the conversation with how do you think it went talk to me about the first set talk to me about the second set talk to me about being 4-1 up talk to me about being 4-1 down I, I always wanted him to tell me because I wanted to help him develop his own tennis IQ. You're not going to be spoon fed everything by me. I need to know what's, what's your level of understanding of the match. Tell me what you're thinking of the match. Cause I might learn something from that match as well. You, you thought that that's unbelievable. Great. Tobes, well done. Or you yeah. were thinking that why did you, why did your mindset take you there, Toby? Okay. Let's, let's put something in place, right? Let's, let's write some notes down that you're going to look at change of ends. We came up with folders. we, I've changed warm ups, folders, processes a million times to try and get it right. Sometimes it works for a week, and sometimes it works for a match. Sometimes it doesn't work, but you try.
0: Yeah, I love this. I love this. Another one I think um, will be really pertinent to a lot of parents and 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 coaches listening as well. You know, when when you're at West Hans and Toby's with you in eleven and under program, how much training was Toby doing? And you know, was he coming out of school at that point?
1: Yeah, so Toby went to a private school, uh, which was about twenty minutes away, and um, because my role at the club was eleven under performance manager, you know, I, I wanted to do what I thought was the best approach to that. So I didn't coach adults, and you know, I didn't I didn't sort of make myself busy. So I you know wanted to prioritize myself, and I was always a firm believer that you know if I wanted to be going to the best tournaments with with some of the best players, I, that I could only really coach five maybe six players. I, I wasn't going to be a coach that had 20 players once a week. Um, nothing against those coaches. They do a great job of keeping players involved in the sport and growing the sport. Um, but for me, I guess I just thought I'm not good enough to, to teach someone to be good once a week. So Toby's program, you know, would have started off as two individual lessons a week because I believe, you know, you, you're you not going to be good if you only have one out a week with a coach. Um, and then Toby did three squads a week. Um, he would do um, swimming and football. He was on the books of uh, Bournemouth and, um, you know, and, and obviously did a lot of competition. He was very good at cross country. Um, the, the school that he went to was obviously being private school, did sports every day. Um, so I was able to go into the school and do some of his lessons at the school. So I, you know, forged a really good relationship with the school and the um, sports director so some of the work was done inside and outside um yeah so you know what I wanted to do is I didn't want I didn't want there to be more than two days where I didn't see him I wanted the lessons almost the idea would be for me to have lessons Monday Wednesday Friday because there's a little bit gap in between and those gaps could be a squatter it could be a day off and um and that's because I wanted to keep it fresh in his mind. And that's why I don't believe in one lesson a week. Um, invariably, you know, sometimes that doesn't work out like that. So the, the, the lesson could be on a Saturday. The Saturday lesson was always seen as a bonus because he's just way too much competing. So we tried to go for two or three lessons during the week. And anything on the weekend is just a bonus. I think one of, one of the reasons Toby was successful um, in that stage, or I was successful with Toby was the fact that I saw him in his individual lessons and his squads. So I saw him for most of his time when, when I was coaching him, pretty much 100% of his tennis time. Um, so you've always got that awareness, that lens on your player um, day in, day out, which is which I think is important. One of the things I, I learned about myself was um, as he got better and better is, is that I probably placed too much... Uh, importance on he has to be good every day um and i and i it took me a long time to learn that he's just a kid you know he he's he's like me i wake up and i'm tired i'm grumpy he's gonna be like that as well so you my mindset started to shift slowly around squads you can just take the foot off the gas a little bit let him be himself don't make him the focus of your squad delivery you know there's there's four other players or there's seven other players they they're paying the same so that really helped me, but but seeing him every day um was one of the things, one of the ingredients I think to him being successful at that at younger age.
0: Interesting. Interesting. And from a from a multi-sport point of view, and you know, you see a lot of specialism at a very early age nowadays. What time did what what age did Toby tone down his football? You know, he was playing at Bournemouth. When when did that chapter of of football come to a close or did he manage to keep it going the whole way through
1: um bournemouth i would say around 11 um but he would you know he'd always represent the school um um, in different disciplines sarah his mum, used to be a a gymnast a high level gymnast and um one of sarah's ambition was she wanted all three of her boys to represent great britain at sport which is um you know, when you're when you're a young coach working with parents like that, you're going, Phew. but they all did it. So they all did it. Oh, wow. Um, um, and, and a lot of Toby's success uh, and Ben and Rafe's success was was also down to his parents, largely because, you know, I, I'm a believer that if you want to have an all in player as a coach, you have to be all in. But you have to be all in as parents as well. Or you have to have one parent that's all in.
0: Oh, mate. It's just making me laugh because i am spending my life going between Derby and Nottingham. I'm going to pick one of them up at 7.30 in the evening. I'm dropping the next one off at 7 in the morning the next day, man. This all-in thing. I mean, fair play. Fair play to the Samuels with what they must have achieved. And I hope, you know, now they've achieved it, they get to sit down and have a nice cup of tea and reflect on it rather than running around like headless chickens. Because the fact is, if you're going all in as parents, as families, as players, you are running around like headless chickens.
1: They, You will get it back. Honestly, you will get it back. If you're not getting it back now, um, they, your, your, your children will pull you aside at some point in their life and they'll say, I didn't really get what you did for me, Dad. I get it now. The commitment was oh. massive, and they, they will thank
0: you. I know that. I love to hear that. Uh, you know, I love to hear that. Genuinely, come on. Now, I mean, Shane, you you you, you stopped coaching Toby at the age of twelve directly. I think after the twelve and under national singles final. Why? Why? Why did you stop coaching Toby?
1: A number of reasons, really. Um, so, you know, he was involved in GB stuff and, and and national camps. So, you know, I went from seeing him pretty much every day, you know, or Bath or, you know, Sunday, maybe, to suddenly he's away for weeks at a time. Um, so that was really disruptive. That was I was, you know, for me, that was probably the first time that happened of his level and. I found that really challenging myself. Um, the regional performance manager, Simon Pender, was a really good guy, um, you know, he probably felt that maybe because of our structure at West Hants, you know, I was 11 under performance manager doing a good job. Um, so, you know, I was told, you know, you're probably not gonna move up with Toby because you're doing a good job, which was like, that was hard for me. Or, or, he, or he sensed that I was just, you know, it was coming to the end. So he's one of the things he said to me is Shane, if, you know, if you do part ways, you're the hero. Now, if you, if you keep on longer and he start his results starts to take a downward turn, you you won't be the hero in it. And I didn't do it because of that reason, you know, because I wanted to be the hero. Um, I just sensed, you know, when Toby came back from international events and things like that camps, sometimes he would come back broken, you know, and I don't, what I don't mean like mentally, but you know, he, he'd come back tired. He'd come back injured. You know, so you're you're wanting to drive this this machine forward and like an F1 car and and reach new top speeds, but it's like you're compromised. And, and I found that really hard. It's like you're trying to do a really good job, of, but you've got one hand tied behind your back. Um, and as I said, because of the system that we had, you know, we've got good good people in in place, Richard, uh, Rich Irwin, and James Pankhurst. I knew I felt that again, if he was going to be good, that we had a really good thing going but he needed to have disruption in in his life in his training so that we can arm him with those experience that he goes okay that's sad but next next go again go again and you know when he so yeah you know i told the parents Leading up to that, the Nationals, that, that was probably going to be my last tournament. And, you know, I felt it was right for Toby. And um, it was a gamble because you, you don't know. You know you don't know what's going to happen afterwards. Is the relationship with the next coach going to work? Um, and he reached the final. Um, really interesting. I mentioned earlier about warm-ups. You know, he played Charlie Gregory, who he had not lost, you know, not not, not beaten before. And I changed the warm-up on that day, got him to hit with um, James White, who's a great coach, um, really good person. I said, can you come out and hit with him for 20 minutes, literally before the match at 10 o'clock? Uh, we'd only, always warm up at like 9 o'clock till like 9.45, but you know, we, we changed out that day. He went on court, won the first set, 6-1, played unbelievable tennis. Again, just thriving in that pressure situation. I'm thinking we've pretty much got one hand on the, on the trophy already, um, charlie then takes a, a toilet break which was quite a lengthy toilet break and uh, disrupts the momentum and toby loses in three but it was a great match um so you know right. not the end that we wanted but toby then went on to james Pankhurst and rich Irwin um and and continued his his pathway so
0: yeah and i'm i'm right in thinking you've stayed close to Toby even though you're not directly coaching him
1: yeah i've i mean i I like to think so. I like to think that, you know, if Toby needed anything or wanted anything that he would, he feels he can reach out to me uh, this year. I'd like, like the last two or three years at, at South Carolina, I've, I've watched his matches when I can. Um, interestingly, I've, I've probably watched him more this year than any other player. So maybe Carlos Alcaraz. Um, he's actually playing right now. He's playing Carl Edmund in, in semi-finals, semifinals, um, which I'm, not watching right now, but um, you know, I, I try to understand wh- who I am in the pecking order. Now, you know, I'll watch his matches. I'll have an opinion. Sometimes I give it, sometimes I don't. Um, um, but yeah, I, I, I see my role now as friend, yeah. old coach um, and motivator. I want to, I want him to keep knowing that people believe in him because I think the journey that he's on now you know, he's, he's there at by himself. You know, he's, he was supported by Macca from Bath this week, uh, but couldn't be there all week. So the last two days he's been there by himself. And I just think that's, that's tough for, for these young men, um, especially when he spent yeah. his three years at South Carolina in a team. Um, so I see my job is sort of, you know, keep believing, you know, I'd, I'd love for nothing more than for him to just, reach the heights that I think he can but there's there's so many challenges between now and then injury loss of form you know acceptances non-selection whatever you know opportunities so
0: you know come on I mean it, just to we'll come on to the the summer that Toby had um but you know clearly he went away to uh University of South Carolina and had an incredible adventure achieved a lot sounds like Achieved a lot, you know, on court with the accolades and the championships, but sounds like achieved a lot from his personality and his him as a human. You were saying earlier, you know, he came out of himself a little bit from the introvert. Is that US uni route for those tennis parents or those coaches who have got players who are performing at a, a good level, you know, it it sounds like that's one you'd really recommend. Is, is that right?
1: Yeah, hundred percent. You know, for some players, it's going to be you go to college in America, and then you might hang up your rackets. I've had players that I've taught that have done that. Um, they've had a good four years. They've lived in America. Some of them stayed in America. Some of them have come back um, and gone into the real world. Um, for Toby, it was right because because of his physique and because of him uh, mentally. You know, he needed more time. Um, he wasn't ready to go on the tour um, from a financial point of view as well. It's it's really tough. So. He's had three years of developing himself physically and mentally. He's been in a safe environment or safe-ish environment in terms of being in a team. He's had sparring partners available to him every single day. He's had a coach who actually can coach him in matches. That's John um, Josh Goffey from South Carolina um, who coached um, Paul Jubb to the NCAA title. Um, Toby actually played Paul Jubb yesterday um so for me it's it it was totally the right path um for Toby to go to I actually went to South Carolina as a 19 year old um on holiday I went to the university I went to Hilton Head and a few other places and I remember Sarah and Rich calling me saying they've narrowed it down to two choices and and these are the two choices and what's your thoughts on this Shane and I said you know I knew I'd heard some things about the other university because I I lived in America for, for two years and, um, and I just felt that South Carolina with Josh, you know, with Paul and his success, I was like, it's, you know, in South Carolina is a lovely place to live. I thought, I said, that's for me, it's, it's there. And they went that route. And I, you know, I don't think he's looked back.
0: Love all of that, but love the fact that the family, you know, and you've, you've kept close enough that the guys feel that you're somebody that should be asking for advice. And
1: One of many, I'm sure. But, you know, nevertheless, it was nice it was there and Rich reached out to me and I, and I could be part of that.
0: Yeah, it's, it's lovely, isn't it? You got to talk to us about Toby's twenty twenty three summer because I know he he had a memorable one.
1: Yeah, I um I was able to experience some of that. I went to watch him in Qualies, um up at Roehampton, um in his second match, and um that was interesting because he said to me, "If you see anything, chain, tell me." You know, and I'm like, "Can you coach?" He's like, "Yeah, you can coach." So you can tell me. I was like bit of a jump from nine and under tennis to uh, playing a guy who's 170 in the world um he did really well there but he lost in the second round uh so he was you know another you know he wins the third round he's playing main draw singles uh, which is amazing uh, but again just needs more experience playing at that level played well but just big moments um and then the main draw wild card as a result of him and his partner uh, finishing um number one in the NCAA and um so yeah he played on the Thursday I was at the NTC in a meeting drove over there got to see him play um the parents very kindly invited me to to celebrate the win with them so that was just amazing um you're, you know you're pinching yourself you're going just had a player that I coached a round at woman that's must, wow do it again sort of thing it's like <laughs> go back into the trenches Shane and do it again um and then I went, I went to Wimbledon for the next four days afterwards. So I was driving up the A3, uh, spending five hours in the car every day just to sort of be around. Um, I had one day working for the LTA um, uh, where I was given the Orangi access. So I was able to sort of see players and, the, and I was able to just be around that for five days, which was, you know, for me, it was like, I have to do this. When, when might this happen again? It might not have happen ever again. So I'm I'm just going to keep driving up and down the M3, sorry the A3 and the M3. So um, no, it was brilliant. It was fascinating for me. I learned so much. Just just buzzing.
0: I love it, um, and I just love that we've started off with Toby as as a young player making his way in those junior competitions and training hard, and up to the current chapter where he's won around at Wimbledon in the doubles. And you know he's 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 playing Kyle Edmund as we speak, and it's just such exciting adventures. And uh, it's been really interesting to hear about the Samuels in terms of their roles as parents. Um, you know, and 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 the obviously they they they've they've played a really significant yeah. role in Toby's journey. What what would your top tip for for tennis parents of competing players be?
1: you have to find a coach that you trust and I think parents can get involved obviously they're involved anyway whether they like it or not because they're driving they're they're spending the money they're taking the time away from family to be at tournaments Um, but the thing that I had from from Rich and Sarah was what well, I felt was was complete trust and um it was never it was never too much. Can we have a talk? Can we talk for five minutes at the end of the session, which happens a lot to coaches and it's a big bugbear of coaches. Like I want to get home. Um, So that a lot of trust, um, you know, I think, I think maybe hopefully that came from the fact that they believed I was all in. And um, you know, you parents need to be able to see their child for where they are now, but also where they need to be. And I think, a lot of parents concentrate on the now um so they they value short-term success win now win now at all costs and um like i mentioned earlier that that makes sort of 20 percent of our sort of decisions it's not 80 percent. it's not 100 um and i think you know if parents can be curious around what what are the what are the skills that my child needs to develop how do i go about them what's the right environment that can really help, you know, for me, goal setting is really important. You know, I was really good at setting goals. I was lousy at doing goal setting reviews. Um, mm. And, um, but that's really important. And I think if parents knew what, what, what they're going after, you know, to sit down with a coach, to talk about the player's goals for the next three months, you know, you're talking around, you know, what, do, what does the player need? What does my child need to be able to achieve those goals? Is it more individual lessons? Is it more S Is it, you know and, and the, the the coach and the parent can talk about what's working what's not working what's frustrating them things things as little as a, um, a coach could be annoyed that the parent carries their child's bag tennis bag on court you know and 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 without without communicating that in a in a in, a, in the right way safe environment you know the coach starts a lesson frustrated with their child and it's like just nipple those things in the bud and then just just Allow them to do the work and let's just see things getting better. But you know, the parents can then watch tournaments going, that's where my feedback can go to. Not 58 things. It's it's the four things that we're really going after. Grip on serve, second serve, um, spin, you know, ball three, whatever it, whatever it is, that's what that's that's really gonna help.
0: It's and you know, coming back to the world that I've lived in for most of my work in life. I've been in meetings where I have come up with a what I think is a wonderful idea for a promotion around X, Y, and Z. And the, the wise woman or wise man in the corner has gone, how is this going to contribute to our objectives, Rob? I, I can see you're getting very excited about this, but how's that going to help us achieve what we want to achieve? Bring it back to the objective. What's the goals? You know, it's a great starting point for the parent, the player, the coach to be aligned on, because then everything comes back to that. Whereas if you haven't set those goals, then who knows? It's scattergun, isn't it? It's a scattergun approach. I've got to ask you about target bound, Shane. I mean, for those um, who don't know what target bound is, it's, it's a brilliant coaching aid. It's a brilliant playing aid. It's a It's a target that you can serve into and then you can play your plus one. But tell us about it, Shane. How did it come about and why have you brought it to market?
1: So, yeah, I mean, you know, coaches working in tennis will know that that 70% of all tennis points at any level are won or lost within the first four shots. And, um, you know being a coach for 30 years, you know, you might start a lesson and you go, right, we've got to make a hundred ball rally and you might be there for 40 minutes. You haven't moved on because they haven't achieved the rally of a hundred yet. And then, you know, just knowing that, that stat at the back of your mind, you're thinking how relevant is my coaching to what actually happens on the match court. So in lockdown, I, you know, as we were just trying to keep ourselves busy, I sort of, you know, rummaged in the garden and shed and found some, an old kitchen cupboard door and some wooden shower mats and some straps off a tennis bag. And I made myself a, a serve rebound target, took it to the club when we came out of lockdown, used it in some of my individual lessons. It was quite small. It was heavy. Uh, the kids loved it when they did hit it, which was about one in 10. Saw the value, saw the excitement. And I thought to myself, how could we, as as Wes Hans, um Try to operate differently to other centers um, in the pursuit of marginal gains. Right, Shane, can I make 10 targets for each of the coaches here for them to use? And what we're going to do differently this term is every time we do serves and lessons, we always lose serve and plus one. We're not just new serves because you know the ball comes back. You know, if we look at the stats for unreturned serves at the pro game, it's around 12 to 20%. So we're actually practicing stuff that actually happens 12 or 20% of the time we're not practicing what happens 80% of the time. So, um, but I didn't have enough kitchen cupboard doors. Um, So then I looked into other materials, and then it snowballed. And, you know, we have a product that I'm really happy with, really proud of, it took us two and a half years to develop. Um, It's weatherproof, it's adjustable, so Andy Murray can use it. And that was always the goal for me when I when I made it initially was like, right, maybe we could make something that the pro could use and, I, and i'm a massive fan of andy murray and so the goal is for him to use it one day and um yeah three three and a half years later it's at the national tennis center we're selling in the uk um we just had um we just had an order place from arguably the most famous club in the world um, i'm not going to mention um, so it's exciting times but it's it's very challenging it's it's um it's a bit of a beast the business side is it?
0: hey it's brilliant i mean i've got to now give my take on it you know we, we met up in nottingham and i had a go and they talk about gamification within the corporate world of making things into games and what i felt straight away was that i was serving to hit the target i was really focused on trying to hit the target but then the beauty of it everyone is that um, when you hit the target, it comes back, and that's when the game really begins because you're trying to hit your second shot into the target bound, so it comes back again, and then it comes back again, and you're like, I've got to get keep this going. And what I've found when I use it is that it just brings out a competitive focus to the practice court in the way that just serving alone could never ever do because when you're serving you know i saw two fellows serving the other day i was like slow it down a bit they were like bang 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 i'm like slow it down a bit you know and it's it's what the the target bound brings is it makes serving fun, serve practice fun, not uh, phrases that go together, serving practice fun. It makes serving practice fun. And then it gives you the chance to do the plus one. And if you're good, the plus two, the plus three, the plus four. And what I've seen when you put this with competitive people is it really brings a competitive focus where they want to do as well as they can and it's no surprise to me you know that as we've started to go around the country with my family playing tournaments that I've started to see target bands I think of where were we um, we were at the Essex Open and Stanley went onto a court and I know we caught each other's eye because we both spotted the two target bands that were there and you know, if, if anyone is listening to this, if you're a coach listening to this, if you're a parent listening to this, please search for Target Bound because I couldn't recommend it highly enough.
1: Thanks, Rob. It's it's um, a nice endorsement. Yeah, we we set out to sort of make a target that was affordable. Um, it works well. We've had great feedback. We've had repeat orders, which is which is brilliant. Um, so, yeah, it's eighty centimeters wide. You know, how often should a player be hitting that? you know it's it's wide enough but um can it can practicing serve and serve plus one once or twice a week make a difference in match play i I would like to think so
0: come on well we're, we're lucky if we live on a farm and we're lucky enough that we've got a tennis court and yeah if anyone uh if anyone in the midlands region is listening to that this and would like to give it a go give me a shout because ours are our are out there and I love the little attentions to detail like it came with a little lock that we could put it on so you can lock it to the fence so it's always out because you understand tennis and you understand that if it gets put away into a coaching shed it may never come out again so even the little attentions to detail things are brilliant but yeah if if you're listening check out target band but Shane I mean it's been so good to chat I've got I've got one more question for you before we go and because of the way that you kind of approach your i feel like you're a philosophical man who approaches his coaching and his business with a lot of thought. so i've got to ask you this question uh it's one we ask most people on the podcast if you could go for a drink with anyone alive or dead who would it be and why um
1: this may be the first and last time i ever do a past a podcast so i'm actually going to break the rules and say it's three people (laughs) come on It's Jordan Peterson, who every time I listen to, I just, I'm inspired by him. Um, It's Kenny Dalgleish, my first sporting hero. And another Liverpool link would be Alex Inglethorpe, who is the Academy Director at Liverpool Football Club. Um, It's just, it's just an unbelievable person. So I think, I think for me, I would just be sat at that table drinking, sipping my drink, listening to those three, world leading people talk and i would just be taking it all in
0: just going huh i love it i love it you've got a psychologist in there you've got a couple of football people in there and i've got to say actually one of the people who in my footballing world that i met who who really stands out as being absolutely lovely but very very bright and just vivacious and just 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 lovely was Kenny's daughter Kelly who who I did a bit of work with now and again so yeah we'll get I'll definitely be there we'll invite them all along I think that would be like a lot of fun and you got to tell me like Jordan Peterson I'm aware he's a psychologist but I don't know too much anything that you'd recommend checking out in in his work
1: oh you can I mean just type him into Google and there'll be hundreds of videos um but you know he's as I say he's a, he's a psychologist, and just some of the messaging around his his speeches uh, for me are, are just they really resonate with me. So um, I, I think we'll, I'd also chuck in Andy Murray there. Andy Murray has to come and sit at that table because he would be able to articulate anything as equally as well because he's such a clever guy. And um, so yeah,
0: well he shares he shares, the love of football. he shares the love of football as well, doesn't he? And yeah, wouldn't that be amazing? Come on well well Shane, I've got to say it's it's been absolutely brilliant to chat I think with my with my hats on as as a tennis parent, as a tennis coach as as somebody who just loves our sport, I just feel like there's some lots and lots of wisdom of having experienced the journey that lots of people are on and at times a journey that can be quite tough, you know, quite challenging, knowing what to do, what is the right thing. That's what this has helped me with this is and that's what I believe this will have helped other tennis parents and other tennis coaches. so thank you very much for 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 sharing for sharing your approach with Toby and we look forward to seeing you know how Toby's career develops and and yeah, all the very very best with your ventures.
1: Rob, thanks very much. That was really, really good. I enjoyed it. So if it's the first and last pos- uh, podcast I ever do, um, yeah, I really enjoyed it.
0: Thanks very much. Take care. That's all for today, but thank you very much for listening. And if you enjoyed that, please do hit the subscribe or follow button so you keep up to date with new episodes. And we look forward to welcoming you back to My Tennis Journey very soon.